Welcome to Hiraith, the home of modern Welsh politics. Last week saw the Royal Welsh Show cancelled for a second straight year, left with only an online presence. The absence of the show and all that it brings is a big blow to the rural and agricultural communities of Wales. This evening, we look at this very important area of Welsh life, as it arguably faces one of the most difficult periods in its history. Joining us tonight to talk about the impacts of Brexit, COVID-19 and climate change on the sector, Alex Heffron, a farmer in Pembrokeshire, West Wales, focusing on agroecology and regenerative agriculture. Hello, Alex. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Thank you very much for coming on. Uh, joining us from North Wales, we have Geraint Davis, who is an Upland Hill farmer uh, and a member of the National Resources Wales Board. Hello, Geraint. Uh, and lastly, we have the current chair of that bastion of rural and agricultural communities, the Welsh Young Farmers, Katie Davis. Hello, Katie. Hello, thank you for having me. Pleasure. Thank you very much for coming on. So we are now in the 22nd year of devolution for Wales. Would it be all right for you all to sort of just reflect briefly on what devolution has meant for farming and for rural communities? Geraint, do you want to start? I think the main one for me has been the ability to contact your civil servants in Cardiff and have a conversation with them. I often find out from farmers across the border that they can never get hold of civil servants. So having a team dedicated in Cardiff has made them much more accessible to have that discussion about current topics that we need to be having a conversation with them. Yeah, I would agree with Geraint like this and having that accessibility is really crucial to the industry as well as young farmers. Um, last week in the virtual Royal Show, we had a meeting with Leslie Griffiths, um, obviously Minister for Agriculture, and obviously that, that isn't necessarily something we could have had on a national level potentially, so that's a real positive. However, there's definitely a frustration at the same time when you see England's agriculture policy having sort of a seven-year plan and our Welsh policy, there's no definite plan going forward. So there's definitely positives, but there's also those frustrations. I definitely hear from my members as well and the difference um, between sort of the policies and that insecurity, I suppose. So I'm actually um, a first-generation farmer. We've only been, been here five years, so I, I couldn't tell you the difference of what it was like before to now. For me, you know, we, we've got things like Farming Connect that give a lot of support, uh, Food Centre Wales and places like that, and that's all really good. And I've heard people from across the border in England that, you know, are quite jealous about some of the opportunities and courses and support we can get over here as a result. Um, I also hear what Katie's saying as well, because with regards to going forward with the post-Brexit plans for farming in Wales, We've had some general comments, there's been a few papers and discussions, but we're still lacking a clear plan. And when you look at the, uh, the elms that they, they put forward in England, uh, whether you agree or not with, with what's in there, there, there is a clearer plan and it is uh, being communicated and, and people start to make plans. So I think Katie makes a, a good point on that. I started my civil service career in agricultural policy and uh, I will say that one of the big things you've got with devolution is that access to civil servants and uh, it's nice to see when it was quite welcome because I, I'd certainly been in a few meetings back in the, the early noughties where it wasn't always so cordial so that's nice to know Gary. We open tonight's show by saying the current period for the agricultural sector and rural Wales is this is one of the most crucial periods in its history. 
do you, do, you both, do, you, do any of you think that's fair, or are we overplaying the uncertainties that farming and rural Wales face at the moment? I think it is a a, a big period. There's there's a huge amount of changes in there. You, you obviously you've got Brexit, which on the one hand is going to change uh, trading patterns, and there's a lot of uncertainty with that, as we've all you know read plenty about. Particularly, I think for sheep farmers. Coupled with that, then you've got the new trade deals, and you know we've had the the new UK trade deal with Australia, where you know there is the potential for an influx of a lot of lamb and beef, and I think we we should expect other trade deals to be made as well. You know, there's talk with New Zealand, there's talk with uh, the US. You know, you've got the uncertainty of losing markets or the difficulty of how we're going to deal with uh, the EU soon and exporting food there and also you've got new products coming in from countries where often they produce at a greater scale than, than we do and can produce cheaper as well and I think that is going to put a lot of pressure so I think it is a, a massive period well we've got this opportunity with it to to reshape agriculture to take on some of the new challenges to look at you know how are we going to address climate change biodiversity and these other things and how would we like to reshape farming in Wales and how would we like to move things forward I'm not sure yet we've really had the, the right conversations around that you know we could be engaging a lot more people with it I think you know and engaging like the, the whole of the country and more people from outside farming as well to get more perspectives as a way of reconnecting people with food and farming and land again Katie, what, what what are the kind of things your members are saying to you about the current uncertainties? Yeah, I, I think um, we've kind of agreed in the sense of what Alex is sort of saying there. There's obviously a lot of concerns at the moment, not wanting to repeat what Alex has said, but also in addition to that, the, the TB is still a massive issue for farmers across Wales. And we don't seem to be getting um, any further along with that, unfortunately. It's still a such a detrimental issue to many many farmers and causing massive concerns for them um nvz regulations is another pressure on to our members and their families and farming businesses um and also it's it's those that necessarily aren't automatically considered under agriculture so rural broadband is one that we as an organization and our members have really faced uncertainty about and difficulties especially when you know documents and um grants and BPS applications all need to be uploaded online and then farmers can't access that internet to undertake it or undertake the work or can't access their messages as well as rural housing which in turn has an impact on those maybe wanting to stay within rural communities in the industry um, so I think sometimes those issues are almost forgotten underneath the bigger main agricultural issues but they're essentially having an impact on our members and those wanting to stay in rural communities but we definitely do have that positive attitude as well this is a once in a generational chance of trying to shape agricultural policy going forward so we did a lot of work encouraging our members county federations etc to respond to the consultations when available but it's very difficult for members to be positive you know when there's just constant changes and new things that they've got to overcome as well how is it in bala uh Geraint? what about yourself and uh farmers are in your area how do they view the current situation it's a tricky one and it depends which farmers you're talking to some have absolute 
fear and dread and there are others that are excited and looking forward to the prospect of new farming times ahead so to speak with different kind of payments to us different kind of things that we could be doing Alex has touched on a lot of things that we need to be doing going forward for the for the sake of the environment at the same time we are food producers and I would love to get Welsh government striking that balance so that we can have both going hand in hand forward to me I welcome the change that we're going towards and I want to be part of it and I will make it work for my farm but the biggest thing I want to be able to do as a business is to be able to spend into my rural economy and keeping young families employed within this area. It is hard to strike that balance and getting it correct. Maybe the government have gone maybe a little bit too extreme to start off with. If they could have gotten the current system working within Pillar 2 payments towards agri-environmental and making it accessible for every farm in Wales to get into there, instead of a point scoring system for farmers to be failing to get into agri-environmental schemes, we would be heading in the right direction without the fear of what the future may hold for farmers. I wanted to ask about the question that's been I've been hearing a lot about, which is standards. So sanitary and phytosanitary standards uh, and animal welfare impact as well. How much concern about the impact on these areas is there from the farming communities in Wales? Yeah, no, there's a big worry, really, because the rules and regulations of the standard to here to here in Wales for food production is so much higher than our competitors across the globe in other places. They are higher than us again. So why would the consumers want to put food on the table that's actually of a lower standard than us? At the end of the day, we're the third cheapest food culture in the world and we are producing food with a big big cost to it and for Wales to have a better environment going forward Welsh food producers need to be looked after in producing it in a way that they can deliver both there's no point trying to be a green country where you're brushing those environmental damaging impacts under the carpet for other countries across the globe to be able to do it um, the Australia deal is just the first deal through the door and there's a whole lot of countries producing to even lower standards than Australia out there that are going to be actually wanting the same kind of treatment that the UK has given Australia. It's a sad reality. We're dealing on the WTO now with the big boys and they are used to striking deals to work for them and the UK haven't had to do that for a long time. So we need better negotiators out there now. Obviously, the Australia deal is designed with the idea of accession to the Trans-Pacific Trade Partnership in mind, isn't it? So is there concern still within the community that there are still, it's still lower to go in terms of standards? Because there are some uh, members of that uh, alliance that have even lower standards than Australia, uh, like you mentioned. Katie, have any of your members come to you any concerns about that? Yeah, we've got a very active Rural Affairs Committee in Wales, YFC, and when the um, trade deal was announced, the WhatsApp group that we've got seemed to be on fire with it because they're very concerned, as Garrett said, it's that opening the door, this is the first trade deal that's come through, and it's just really concerning thinking that if this is the standard that we've set, um, when there are other countries with lower standards than Australia, definitely than ourselves, where are we going to go next? Um, and it's just really concerning going forward. You know, we're so proud of the pro 
produce that we have here in Wales and also our standards around animal welfare. It's just really disappointing and concerning that actually on the shelves in, in competition with our fantastic produce are going to be those that aren't to the same standards. And it's, it comes back to then education for the general public as well and how are they going to know about it. And hopefully during the pandemic, they've all realised a little bit more, but it's keeping that up and ensuring that everybody's educated about it, really. So members are definitely very concerned about it. Alex, do you agree with that? Or do you think it can we can suddenly improve standards across the world like the uh, Department of International Trade think we can? I think there's a, a fundamental contradiction here because if we want to keep high standards and look to improve them further, then... We can't be competing with each other on these quote unquote free markets globally in, in this way with food production, where there isn't an equal playing field, um, as Garen and Katie have both pointed out. So I think, you know, it doesn't make sense that if we want to be seen as um, a green food producing country, you know, and to high standards, anything that's going to drive down costs is only ever going to drive down standards because ultimately you have to pay bills at the end of the month and you know thinking about dairy production where costs of production only ever seem to go up and the cost paid to the dairy farmer only ever seems to stay the same at best or go down you know it, it, more competition is just going to drive down prices further and I think this fits within something that the UK government you know it's this outsourcing or offsetting of our carbon emissions or our um, environmental um, protections you know it's letting other parts of the world let them take the the pressure of food production but they can make it look good on on their books you know there's a bit of accountancy tricks going on I think with some of this and it ties into some of the other um, the other ways at the UK from what they're saying how they want to go about uh, quote unquote again tackling climate change I, you could make a country look very good if you're not having to produce you know the basic necessities of life yourself so let's talk about the economic impact on farming uh, in the last couple of years obviously there's concerns that the free trade agreement with australia will have a negative impact on welsh farmers because of the uh, potential for a flood of uh, australian produce into the welsh and uk market but what about subsidies? During the Brexit debate, we heard huge amounts about subsidies, and we continue to, to, to hear about how they will or will be replaced. Katie, to your members, are they still concerned about the subsidy regime that we're going to be implementing in the next few years, or are there other economic concerns they have more at the forefront of their minds? It comes back to the, the point about, you know, with Brexit, a lot of younger people were obviously not wanting to be reliant on subsidies and were quite as positive. positive. Well, definitely a lot that I spoke to were quite positive about having that step away from them. Um, but it comes back to really one of the points we mentioned earlier is that unknowing is how can you plan for the future of your business, whether you're a first generation farmer or you're a farmer's son or daughter x number generation farmer, whatever, new entrant. How can you plan for the future of your business when you don't know what subsidies you're going to be facing with because unfortunately the reality is that a lot of our members a lot of our farmers are reliant on subsidies in some shape or form and it's not being able to plan for that and therefore they're not being able to plan 
for what grants you're maybe going to need to apply for or what infrastructure you're going to put in and that's a discussion that we had actually with the minister last week in our meeting during the virtual royal show was around future farm payments and whilst you know she did admit that they weren't as far ahead as they like they'd like to be with the incoming policy because of the pandemic we couldn't get really a definite answers to when we were going to get more clarification we had a tenant farmer as one of our members on the meeting and you know it was his sort of concern is how much infrastructure does he agree to put in or contact his landlord and it's it's just that uncertainty is really um discouraging i suppose to our members and really concerning to them is how can they plan for their future and for the sustainability of their businesses you know the subsidy currently is there for the volatility of the market for us as farmers in whatever we produce and sadly i'm one of those that's reliant on it to a level that i would not want to be level, um, there but that volatility has always had the need for government to be helping us to make up for that loss of producing food for the general public and it's I, personally i it will never be able to be replaced from the likes of food production on this farm we will always be dependent on a form of subsidy going forward it's such a shame really that our welsh government haven't seen food production as a public good whether you agree with me there or not it's an important thing that we get right that people have high welfare high standard of food on their plate whether it be uh, from welsh hill farms to vegetables grown in wales or what have you it has to be affordable for those people buying it the general public there's a big big amount of those people out there that live in pretty much poverty and they're not going to be able to go out and pay more for food and that's where our government needs to be working with us to produce food so that the general public have the high welfare, high standard of food on their table on every single meal that they're able to be putting on that table. Alex, has it got more promising or less promising since you started? So for us, we, we're a very small farm. And until the last uh, few months, actually, most of our land that we grazed was based on temporary grazing agreements. So we've had no eligibility for subsidies. And because we sell direct as well, we're, we're not affected by a lot of the, the bigger trade deals and so on. I, I don't think that's necessarily um, an option for farmers. It, it's something that allowed us to get into it. So, you know, we have a vending machine on the farm that we sell our raw milk from. So I'm coming out from a slightly different angle, I suppose, because like to us, subsidies haven't really been an option till now. Now we've got a, a proper tenancy and, and we're able to now go through the process with uh, Rural Payment Wales. So I think maybe I'll highlight something slightly different because I agree with what Geraint and Katie have both said. The, the problem in Wales is, is poverty, you know, childhood poverty is it hitting 30% now. Farmers can't produce food any cheaper. Food can't cost any less. So the issue we need to address is that that more systemic level with regards to poverty. I'd love to think there was a more radical approach that we could take, you know, that the saw food as a universal basic right, you know, where, where every household could have access to really good food, you know. But I also want to highlight a, another slightly different issue because 
uh, being very small farm myself and having friends that are growers. So I've got friends in horticulture and friends who are mushroom growers. They don't get any access to support from government. And I think this is something that could be done as well because you know, we currently import 99%, I believe, of our fruit and vegetables into Wales. Uh, it wouldn't take a lot of land. I read one report that said is it 2.5% of Welsh land if we wanted to grow all our own fruit and veg. I feel like that could be something achievable. Is it, you know, take a, a period of time, we need training and we need to look at land access for those growers. So what I would like from the Welsh Government with their sustainable farming schemes to consider those aspects as well and how they can build that into the bigger picture. You know, that's not to take away from the challenges and the uncertainty of other farmers out there, beef, dairy, sheep and, and, and arable and so on, but also just to consider some of these other points that are out there. And then I also noticed one other thing in the sustainable farming scheme with regards to this active farmer clause that has always been in there that they still, from my reading, allow for a, a landlord to pick up the subsidy merely for maintaining some fences or some gateways. And I think all of the money from a subsidy should be going to the person who's doing the active farming and actually producing the food because that's where it's really difficult. That's where you know, profit margins are extremely low slash non-existent. And I would like to see that really crack down on so that the food, the, the money is going to the right people who are producing the food. Can I just jump in there after Alex as well, actually, because I really agree with sort of the two end points he's made there. Obviously, every commodity within the industry has their own struggles. But like as an arable farmer's daughter, I completely agree with what he's saying. Sometimes different sectors within the industry have a higher focus. And I just really hope that going forward, Welsh Government will really endeavour to, it's very difficult to put any equality across all sectors, but really give the focus to each individual commodity that's available within the industry. And then also the, the second point with regards to the active farmer status. So that's definitely something we've discussed as members of Wales YFC and then also externally in my personal work about the active farmer status is still something that you can, as, as he was sort of saying, it almost get around it to an extent. And I really hope that that is something the Welsh Government have spoken about tightening up on, but that is something they really go forward with to make sure that those that are actively farming it are gaining the subsidy. I, I really want to be a guest and answer some of these questions because I come from a farming background and a lot of what you're all saying resonates to me. Just, just to put in about the Australia one, I was talking to my uncle, and I've got quite a lot of Welsh-Australian family, and he was saying he farms on a property with 20,000 sheep and 1,000 head of cattle. And it, it's just a completely different kind of way of farming, but we're trying to now trade with. It's just it's just not comparable, really. One of the things I did want to catch on, I think you've all touched on it in answers so far, is uh, want to build on something we talked about in a pod recently about climate change. And um, we had Jess McQuaid from WWF on there, and they're doing a lot of things currently on land management. and. Garen, in your social media uh, introduction, you know, it says that you're farming with the environment and climate change is going to be increasingly important in how we manage our land and our kind of how we undertake agriculture. I think you touched on it in an earlier in an earlier answer about, you know, what we grow. Do we want to, you know, how do we keep importing things or do we need to grow it here? You know, what are your views on uh, how the sector can develop its environmental credentials? 
Yeah, we just need to tweak a lot of things that we're doing already. We all have to play our part. The current weather that we're having at the moment, that's climate change to me. And it's actually a huge, huge strain on every single farm that's going through the extreme drought that we're in at the moment. We've got the bank behind the house here on a decent average year it burns off anyway it's absolutely red now and i think every farm needs to reevaluate where they can produce food from where they can give to nature and sit down and make a plan of action going forward we've all got these unproductive corners that could go to nature say that they're either planted in trees or just let go wild they will do an awful lot towards climate change there and then our cultivation uh, techniques you know, we need to ditch the plough and start using better methods of getting seeds into the ground where we're drilling them so that we're keeping moisture in the ground, we're keeping that carbon in the ground and so on. You know, my farm is a big experiment and I will tweak and tweak and tweak until I get it correct. And the more work I do, we make mistakes along the way. And we've had some very good successes as well by using different cultivation techniques. We've been measuring our carbon here. We've been grip blocking or blocking the ditches up on the mountain and we're measuring now 507 grams per one kilogram of peatland measured it's 507 grams of carbon stored in there already so it makes me such a happy farmer that we're doing that and then our grassland the new techniques that we're putting the grass in someone measured just the other week and they've come back at 140.9 tons per hectare of carbon in there so we're going in the right direction to helping towards climate change and so on. And over the last 10, 12 years, we put in about 14 kilometres of hedgerows. Technically, each one of those little saplings growing should be sequestering about six kilograms of carbon every year. So, you know, every Welsh farm has the potential to deliver so much more as we're going forward and still be able to produce the food that the citizens of Wales need. Slight tweaks as we're going along, we will do an awful lot without having to change our farming practices. Just really agree with what Geraint said that there's tweaks that every farmer can make, but it's also a point that I think it was actually Geraint that made earlier on as well is the accessibility to some of the agri environmental schemes. Um, he obviously mentioned the scoring element, and that's been so difficult for farmers and you know on a sort of my personal work basis not necessarily young farmer basis but it is something that has come up from our members as well is that there are so many farmers that have been interested in an agri-environmental scheme but have been unsuccessful because of the scoring but that unfortunately although they've been scored like that in relation on rural payments Wales and by Welsh government and we do understand that there are those areas of land that would be suitable for environmental uses as Geraint said and I think it's just having that balance a little bit more that Unfortunately, sometimes if they're not eligible for that scheme, the farmer maybe isn't going to consider putting it into that use. There's so many areas that could be utilised in those agri-environmental schemes, but that scoring just isn't reaching it, unfortunately. Yeah, I came into farming very idealistic about what we're going to do and you know what, what we're going to achieve and so on. And one of the biggest learning curves for me then, you know, a bit of uh, sort of a humbling experience really is, you know, takes a long time there's a, there's a lot to do and like Geraint there was talking about you know there's a lot of work we can crack on with with re-establishing hedgerows you know I, I'm quite a big fan of planting more trees on farms um I would like to 
you know, do, do more of like a, a silver pastoral approach and, and have tree rows integrated with my fields. But to be honest with you, it's going to be a few years till we really get into that because we're still fencing off hedgerows, planting more trees in hedgerows. There's a lot to do there, you know, creating new banks and so on. You know, it's, it's going to take a number of years, but we need to know that that's the direction we're going in. Um, and farmers are going to have to be supported in order to do that because you know there's not there's not enough hours in a day as there is and there's not enough money in the job anyway so there's going to have to be support there for that so I'd like to see more of that I think as well you know we talk a lot about trees but we also need to think about uh, wildflower meadows I think the UK now we've lost around 99% since uh, the post-war period they're really important obviously for insects and birds butterflies and so on so I think we need to look at how we're also going to reintegrate that back into our agricultural uh, network, you know, our sort of like patterns across a landscape. That's not so easy to achieve because actually that tends to reduce production levels, you know, because you're going to be going from highly productive grasses to less productive grasses and you might be cutting fields less often and so on. And again, it's very difficult to achieve that when you've, you've got the realities of the economics of it all. And then thirdly, the only other one I come back to as well is, I think this ties in as well with climate change is, you know, how are we going to grow more of our own fruit and veggie and how are we going to grow, grow more with it within Wales so that we're not importing as much as well. And I think that's important too, because it takes pressure off other countries and other parts of the world where at the minute they are having to be geared towards uh, exports. Um, if we were producing more of our own food here, I think there's a beneficial impact all across the world as well then. One of the other sides on the environment which um, the agricultural community is often drawn into is around the pollution side of it and um, probably one of the big ticket items which has been in the news this year for those who follow the, the rural community is the, the All Wales Nitrate Vulnerable Zone that's been created and you know it's got very mixed opinions but I'd say you know, I think it's generally gone down quite negatively on a pan Wales approach with the the rural community. Then again, I also come from a part of Wales different to, to the three of you, where we do regularly get pollution spills in rivers. The River Wye, which is what I grew up on, is increasingly uh, problematic. And I'm not going to draw, I'm sure, Geraint, you've looked at this from the NRW point of view. And there's no kind of conclusions what's causing the, the problems of our rivers and climate change is there but you know on, on that side of things do you think the the agricultural community is developing processes and techniques to kind of limit the pollution problem we've got yeah i think the agricultural community is developing technologies to have less pollution incidents and so on to me one pollution incident is one too many um i would say in that not many farmers out there go out in the morning wanting to create a pollution spill and so on. It's a hard one, really, because we've got an industry that faces a lot of uncertainty going forward, and we've got an industry that's got a lot of costs between now and 1st of August 2024 to be compliant with these MBZs. Our own uh, slurry pit here is going to need about 100000 spent on it, let alone the paperwork and everything around with it. Um, I think in the long run, 
it's going to be the best thing to do because of the incidents and you're not just into the water courses, the clean air as well that's being affected from it. But we really need governments now to work with us to get to 2024 and have all the Welsh farms compliant, whether they want to invest properly into the infrastructure to be able to hold and be able to do what fall within the rules and regulations of it or whether they want to look at other alternative methods of storing their manure and slurry and so on. To me personally, I want flexibility within that closed period. It doesn't come down to, it has to be in that slurry lagoon from date one to the, whenever it's going to be, say, 1st of February. There's good weather within those windows where we could get it out as well. So I'm hoping that it will be a more flexible approach from Welsh Government that they're going to be able to do. And it's it's a hard one, really, because I don't think there's that many issues for Wales to be an entirety MBZ. But um, it's what we have now and it's what we're going to have to work with to get to the destination where every single farm is compliant and Every other industry around will be compliant, hopefully, by 2024. Not just Welsh farming has to take the brunt of all this. Everybody else has to do their part in doing their bits to keep the environment in a much, much healthier condition, isn't it? It's definitely something we've um, spoken about time and time again, and it was one of the topics we had with the Minister last week. Um, just completely agree with what Geraint said, really. Um, we strongly believe as an organisation that one pollution incident is one too many. Um, there are a lot of concerns going forward um, and it comes back to unfortunately the economics of it and the fact of how members and farmers are going to have to plan for this going forward as Geraint said there are so many that aren't up to standard with their slurry pits and it's that consideration that they're going to have to make and appreciate we've got until 2024 to comply with those but some of the Welsh Government grants this is just sustainable production grant normally only comes out once a year and that came out the beginning of 2021 and then obviously the regulations weren't announced until just after that window or was just literally just before that window so farmers literally had a month maybe to make a consideration if that whether they wanted to apply for that grant which is quite a substantial grant and there's no lux of another window coming until 2022 so that's a really concerning element for farmers and I think as our members, um, you know, obviously we don't really, we'd prefer Wales not to be in a whole pan Wales MVZ and more concentrating on areas, I think, but one pollution incident is one too many. I think the the annoyance our members definitely had was the fact that we were told that nothing would come into place until after the pandemic. And then, of course, it came in and it was, just seems to be another element that Welsh farmers are having to deal with on top of everything else um, and obviously it just felt a little bit I think we were taking the brunt of it as an industry and that definitely um, disappointed our members was that fact that that promise was made publicly that it wouldn't come in until after the pandemic and then it just appeared um, but as Geraint said we are where we are we've got to deal with it now going forward and I think it's just Obviously, making our concerns known to Welsh Government, it goes back to what we were saying earlier on about having that access to civil servants and to ministers is really beneficial in this because it's making them aware what our concerns are going forward. But we are where we are. We've just got to work for it now. And what we can do really to help each other and help the industry is the way forward, really. All I'll add really to what both uh, Geraint and Katie have said is you know, it keeps coming back to economics, and they, you know, that it's this is the answer to everything. It's like 
there's what we want to achieve and then there's the realities within the economic system and coming back to earlier on the conversation with the trade deals with other countries if that's going to drive down standards then it makes it even harder because a lot of the um, reasons why you know people are having to invest more in in bigger slurry uh, storage and so on is that the increasing of scale that's necessary in order to compete all the time so it's it's a treadmill that never seems to end by the looks of it you know we're very new to it, we're very small but you know from talking to other farmers and so on and, and observing that that seems to be how it goes it doesn't take a particularly long look at the welsh political map to see that the welsh labor government has struggled to win over rural wales but but why do you think there is this disconnect between the party that has been the largest party in wales for a hundred years but never really been the largest party in rural wales it's a, it's a tough one, isn't it? Um, firstly, I don't think the population and what the Labour government was standing for originally is what, what the rural people wanted to hear, really. And it's always been, uh, going back the years, if you speak to an older farmer now, he'd be telling you, oh, it's the Conservatives that looked after farming and so on, and the Labour, they just kept after the, the urban side of things which is a shame, really, because if you struck that balance in the middle, you'd get the best of both worlds for everybody there. I think all parties have an awful lot of more work to do, especially to get the next generation of people through to even consider voting for them and striking that balance that works for rural communities and the urban communities. It's not easy. Alex, one of the parties that used to be very popular in rural Wales is the Lib Dems but they don't seem to be doing quite as well either do they it seems to now be a, a battle between conservatives in one part of rural Wales and Plaid Cymru in another yeah where I am it's a Welsh-speaking area and this little area tends to vote Plaid um, but we're within Priscilla Pembrokeshire so it's been Tory for a long time it was Labour for a bit before that. Um, it seems to alternate between those. Yeah, <laughs> this area, it feels like, isn't represented within this constituency because it mostly votes Plaid. And, you know, our local Plaid, um, you know, the, the guy puts himself forward, you know, he, he's great and he's on the, the Pembrokeshire Council. But um, as far as getting into either as an MP or as an AS, whatever, that, that seems much more difficult here. Oh, sorry. I, I, I think that's really interesting. Sorry to jump in, because actually the home farm with me is in Priscilla, Pembrokeshire. Um, but we'd be slightly on the further south element of that constituency. So I'd actually say, um, although part of my family is from the Welsh side of Pembrokeshire in that respect, the Welsh language speaking side, um, the, where the farm is, we're all English, or they're all English speaking. And I could actually say that it would be very strongly conservative down there. So it, it show, even shows on this podcast, you know, that there's a split in that constituency and it's quite a strong split because essentially even comes down to my family where my mum would be from, would be very Welsh. And where my dad is from is very English. And that's just in the one county and in the same constituency. So. It's a real, I think it's a million dollar question, if I'm honest, because um, if we can't figure out an answer in the constituency, I think we're going to struggle to figure out an answer on sort of a pan Wales element as well. 
I, I really want to do a pod on the Lanska line now. I presume that's what uh, the divide is in the language here. But yeah, I, I think we might have phrased the question a little correctly. It, like you said, Garant, it could just as easily be framed the other way about how other parties don't make any inroads into urban Wales. But um, one, of, one of the things with having that Labour administration and not having that kind of representation locally, an awful lot of the challenges facing rural Wales and it, it is around those areas about Welsh language and culture in Wales. And in the news a lot at the moment, it's around second homes and holiday homes. And those are major issues in a lot of our coastal rural areas. Not so much in the political context, but how do you think we can look at these issues in a, in a rural protection context? Because other parts of England do it. You know, Shropshire, the Lake District, even Cornwall's looking at kind of these areas. But in Wales, it's still a kind of minefield. You know, how can we look to protect these areas? I was kind of smiling there um, because the rural housing element is something I feel really strongly about just because of where I'm originally from. So as I sort of mentioned, I'm um, from Pembrokeshire, pretty much on the west, as nearly as far west as you can go in Pembrokeshire, to be honest. Um, we farm just on the coast outside a gorgeous village called Little Haven. And unfortunately, there is no way I could ever afford to live in that community that I have lived in my whole life, um, essentially until the last couple of years because of the house prices. Um, so I looked at, I remember it was about 10 years ago, I actually looked at buying a one bedroom open plan flat in a village just over, and it was about 180,000 pounds. Just before the pandemic, there was a new development in the village over again, and they were about 400 to 450,000 pounds. There's no way sort of a rural person who's lived there their whole lives are going to be able to afford that unfortunately you know don't get me wrong I've worked in those villages when I was in school and home from university and it was great to give me um, a job in the hospitality and retail section but in the winter it's a ghost town and it's really disappointing then as a young person not being able to live in that community where essentially one half of my family all congregate and all live and I've grown up with and I've had that opportunity and I was home this weekend and you know I've really reflected on it having that accessibility to the coastal path you know within walking distance from the farm and I know I've been very fortunate to grow up there but it's really difficult um, and the house prices sort of further inland from where I am on the farm is still astronomical from what you can get for your money elsewhere in other counties so I do think that there needs to be some work on it. It's definitely something as an organisation we've raised in our manifesto and with meetings with the Welsh Government that, you know, there needs to be, whether that's planning permission or diversification of properties for agriculture purposes and those working on farms or farmers' sons and daughters, as well as just having affordable housing for those that live in the community and those that are local, because um, otherwise those communities are going to die, unfortunately, and that's then going to obviously... Um, maybe not so much in Little Haven, unfortunately, but in other areas, it's really going to affect the Welsh language. So I'm actually a Welsh learner. My mum's side of the family's first language Welsh, but I've learnt it. And if you lose those people living in the village on a regular basis, unfortunately, the language is also going to have a detrimental effect on because you're going to lose that opportunity to speak to people in the language of your choice and in, in our native language, really. So it's a massive issue and I think there's so much work that needs to be done on it and I don't think it's given the priority that it needs to be given from Welsh Government. I just get a bit frustrated really because there's a lot of us as local people who have taken advantage and sold 
property to somebody to move into the area, we could have said, actually, no, we're going to sell this to a local person. So we can only be blamed for a lot of this ourselves as well. And the amount of people that I know that have maybe three, four properties that they're letting out as holiday lets and Airbnbs and so on, when local people aren't able to buy and out of the blue, those people, they bought another one. And once they get on this property ladder, they are buying land or buying property here, there and everywhere. And they are as guilty as the ones that are incoming to the area buying up the houses as well. So we need to look at it totally different. As Katie touched on planning, we're in the Snowdonia National Park and it would have been easier for me to get planning on the farmer Habit Llanuchlin to a holiday let than a house for somebody that works for me. And the rigmarole that we had to go through to get the uh, Section 106 put in place for the planning. And every single time I spoke to the planning person, they said, but that barn there would do a lovely holiday let. And, you know, that's absolutely wrong of an approach to have, isn't it? We're losing youngsters in droves. Authorities like that would rather teach a handful of people that move into the area to speak Welsh instead of keeping young people in good paid jobs in this area. It's one of those double standards, really. We are as guilty as those that want to buy houses in this area. If it doesn't get grasped quick, quickly soon, it's going to be too late because, you know, there's village after village now where they just become holiday home villages. You know, Newport just up the road from Cymreglois, Newport, Pembrokeshire. There's a number of holiday homes there is incredible. And and yeah, you know that there are councils around the UK that are able to do things and we don't seem to be doing it here. And I don't know what policy levers are exactly available. You know, I'd be I just banned buying second houses for holiday homes full stop, to be honest with you. I'm not sure if we could get that through. But you know, for me, housing is it's it's a it's a right and it shouldn't be about profit, you know, it, pe people need to live somewhere and people need to be able to live in rural communities and, and where they're from. You know, if you want to retain the, the culture and the language, you're going to have to support that. And since COVID, the house prices here have just gone absolutely bonkers, you know. And, you know, houses are going above asking price. They're going to sealed bids. They're going within 24 hours. It's just, it's just a ridiculous situation. And... All the time, this is just getting worse, and it doesn't seem like that's going to let up anytime soon because housing and land here is relatively cheaper than it is from other parts of the UK. And unless Welsh government step in and start using some policies to um, disincentivise that and try and prevent that, it's just going to happen really quickly, um, and I, I don't think it's a good situation. A planning sort of element is what Geraint said. I've actually found out on the weekend, a friend of mine has had her planning refused for a second time for a house on a farm that has been in her family for, I think, for about 140 years or something like that. Um, the community council have actually approved it, but the national park has declined it. And their response is actually, oh, she could do a bungalow, sort of a two bedroom bungalow. But as she quite rightly said, that's not going to be a forever home for her. That's fine for a holiday let. So she's actually living in a static caravan at the moment because she can't get a planning permission through for a property that could be a future family home for her. It's not impacting anybody. It's not impacting a view. It's nothing like that. And it's just those are the battles and those are sort of the barriers and the hurdles that we're having to overcome as young people living in what is beautiful parts of Wales and you can understand why other people want to come there on holiday and want to live there but 
it's really demoralizing for those that live locally and want to continue their generational families in those areas. There's never a, a silver bullet for anything, really. But if you could do one thing to benefit rural communities, what would it be? I would like to look at the housing and land access issues. They're, they're the two most important things, in my opinion, because currently you're seeing people leave who want to stay but can't, whether that's a lack of jobs, whether that's a lack of affordable housing. There are also people that want to be able to get into farming and growing and can't because they can't afford to, because essentially if you haven't got a family farm or some sort of family wealth, then how would you get into it with the way it is, you know? And as I mentioned earlier on, you know, I would like to see us promoting a lot more horticulture in Wales and producing more of our own fruit and veg. I was chatting to a friend yesterday. He was talking about how there's big demand within public procurement for locally grown veg. He runs a CSA veg scheme. He can't produce any more than he is. He can't work any more hours. He hasn't got enough land to be able to grow more veg on. There's bits of land around that I feel like with the right policy and incentive, we could put towards horticultural use because there is that local demand there. And I would like to see something done towards that. And that could be a way as well of helping to revitalize some rural communities as well, I would hope. Just a simple one really, but it touches on a lot of things that Alex have just said there. To recreate a good connection between the urban parts of Wales and the rural parts of Wales so that we can all work together going forward for this brighter future Wales so desperately needs. And the only way we can do it is to be able to do it together and understanding from the polar opposites what we might think we come from the goal is in the middle and we can achieve it and get to it together quite easily if we all put our heads together and katie uh, with the last word what would you do just one silver bullet <laughs> so on rural communities it would have to be sort of rural connectivity and rural housing two elements which i think are really as both Geraint and Alex have alluded to really impacting our rural communities and our rural futures. But I do just want to say on an agricultural basis, it would have to be TB eradication. Um, it's getting to the point now where you're, well, it's been like this for so many years, impacting so many farmers on a day-to-day -day basis. And, you know, I'm an arable farmer's daughter and that's still the one that I'm saying is a silver bullet for me. And I know I'm in a hot spot in Pembrokeshire, but it's so demoralizing and so devastating for farmers that if I could have a silver bullet for that that would definitely be something I would look at. I just want to say thank you very much for all of you for coming on to talking with us this evening if people want to find out what you've got to say elsewhere where can they find you on Twitter Katie? Uh, so personal Twitter is at katiedave21 and currently I am under I think it's Kadeira CFFI and I'll be on that until September when I finish. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Geraint? Yeah, you can uh, find me on at Veduarian if you choose to be silly enough to follow me on it. I'm just there showing the real life day-to-day -day running of this farm, lightheartedly taking the mickey out to myself at the same time because there's ups and downs in farming and if you're able to show people the day-to-day -day running of this farm and hopefully they'll get a benefit of seeing them in a positive way. Yeah. Uh, Alex, what about you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter, uh, Alex Heffron 20 and uh, our farm is Mountain Hall Farm, which is uh, 
yeah, on Facebook and, and Instagram. Great. Thank you so much for talking to us this evening. If you like what you've heard tonight, please don't forget to find us on Medium at Here I've Bob Cymru, on Facebook at Here I've Bob Cymru, and on Twitter at Here I've Bob. Thank you for listening to Here I've. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review.